We're proud that this episode of In Our Tracks is brought to you by Cinch Jeans. Cinch has been a proud official partner with NRHA for more than 20 years. You can shop for your favorite Cinch products on cinchjeans.com or at a retailer near you. Welcome to Season 2 of In Our Tracks, a project from the National Reining Horse Association. I'm your host, Jennifer Paulson. We're here to honor the history of reining, discuss current events and trends, and look ahead at the opportunities this sport has in its future. Reining's rich heritage includes vibrant personalities we're excited to share with you, along with honoring the horses and events that have made this sport the international phenomenon it is today. If you like what you hear, please be sure to leave a review. And thank you for listening to In Our Tracks. Hey everybody, welcome to season two of In Our Tracks, um, a project from the National Reining Horse Association. We're really excited to have the podcast back for 2021 and really follow where reining goes this year after kind of a strange year last year, but it seems like everybody really just grabbed it by the horns and and, uh, made things happen. And that includes our guest today. We're really excited to have Shelly Bryan here. She's from Scottsdale, Arizona. She is a non-pro, and um, you probably saw her and her Perlino gelding, Dirty Diamonds, on the cover of the uh, November Rainer magazine, and um, so we're excited to talk to Shelly today. Shelly, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me on. You bet. So we'll start with our icebreaker questions that we call our, our large fast. So um, just quick answers. What's your favorite food to have in the truck when you are hauling to a horse show? Uh, I would say my favorite is, I know this is weird, but like honey nut Cheerios just because it's like little and you can just kind of snack on them, but you have to like, you know, have like a bag, not the whole box. But (laughs) yeah, I love honey nut Cheerios. It's also not messy because if you think about like chips or something like popcorn, it ends up everywhere. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And you know, with all the driving, it's just kind of nice to have something to kind of keep you awake and it's little and small and you just keep going. Right on. Uh, what do you like to listen to when you're on the road? Um, my favorite is podcasts. I absolutely love podcasts. And then, um, eighties rock radio, I mean, <laughs> the best decade ever. So those are my faves. That's great. Um, tell us about your most memorable accomplishment horseback. It can be in the arena. It could be at home. What, what, what stands out to you as something that you are most proud of with your horses? Um, you know, it was an instant this year. I mean, this year was pretty incredible. Um, the last several several years, just really since I bought the the one mare um, guy diamond or dirty diamonds dam, um, there's been a lot. But there was one this year that I'll just say Daniel had been working with me, and um, I really wanted to perfect, you know, my skill. And I only have one horse that I get a ride, so I really take each ride very seriously. And there was a time, and you hear about this with like professional athletes um, that I've researched, is where time actually slows down. Because I feel like in raining, there's a lot of times where, you know, we're going fast or we're trying to show the degree of difficulty without letting the judge know we're struggling or not right. You know, things happen so fast. And I remember being at home one day practicing and we were working on a new skill um, just to kind of enhance the stop. And I was like, oh my gosh, like things are slow. We were going fast, but it was like my brain, my body, everything kind of hooked up together. And I was like, oh my gosh. So it was just that, that feeling, um, just being to this year and it was at home practicing, but I was like, I got this. I, I, everything, you know, I can process information fast, but it's happening slowly, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I think that's something we all strive for. I mean, that's like that, that, you know, holy grail moment with your horse where you're, you're connected and you're getting it and they're getting it and everything seems like you're in a good spot. Yeah. It's, it's never happened before. So it was definitely like a holy cow moment for me this year. I bet. So what's your favorite trait in a horse? Heart, heart, yeah. heart, heart. Um, you know, I just love horses that will give you their heart and um I've been very fortunate to have a couple um a couple that have done that and you know obviously dirty diamonds this year but his dam that she she just had so much heart and as she got older she got better and they'll just I feel like 
snares will give you a ton of heart. And they're like, if you're here for me, I'm here for you when you go show or go do anything. So heart is probably my favorite characteristic in a horse. Absolutely. Um, what's the, the most common thing that your trainers are, are telling you before you go show? Um, Daniel, so funny. You know, it's like it's the last little kind of thing. Hey, remember that. Hey, remember that. Um, I think we hear it a lot as non-pros is go have fun. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to do, right? Uh, it's, it's definitely easier said than done. It's always fun, but you just want to do so well. And you want to, you know, make everybody proud, including yourself. And um, sometimes you, the seriousness looks like it's not fun, but you come out and you're like, holy cow, that was so much fun. I absolutely loved it. So just that reminder that this is fun. We're here to enjoy it and enjoy these animals. And that's, that's definitely the most common thing I hear. All right. All right, so Shelly, let's uh let's talk a little bit about your background and um where your life with horses started and and how you got to be where you are today. We just saw the other day that um you are in the top 20 non-pros for 2020, so congratulations on that, but there's a lot that went into where you 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 are today. Yeah, there it it really is um very surreal looking back. Um I actually started in horses when I was five and I came up from a family that had nothing to do with horses, nothing like at all extended family, anybody. I just saw a horse when I was four and my parents tell me that we were on a road trip in Northern Arizona and I saw a horse and I like made them pull over so I could go see the horse and that was it. And so I started, um, actually with, uh, you know, I'm a native to Arizona. I started with a a gal here in Arizona that teaches, you know, beginners. And I started doing the, you know, weekend warrior shows where you did, you know, English, Western showmanship, equitation, you know, on one horse, you did everything. And I showed, you know, Welsh ponies to great horses, Appaloosas, whatever I could ride. That's what I was showing. Um, and then in about, oh, 96-ish, uh, I got bit by the Arabian bug. And so Arabians uh, here in Arizona, we have the Scottsdale Arabian show. It's such a big, um, amazing event. And right. so I got into raining, but I actually got into raining at the same time, or excuse me, shortly, shortly after. So first in the Arabians, I started again with the, the hunter and the Western pleasure, equitation, showmanship, all of that. And then I just started paying attention more to reining. And, you know, I started there uh, with a purebred Arabian reiner. And actually, funny thing, so the Rookie of the Year event, which is so amazing now in uh, NRHA, and I love that it gets so much attention. Um, back then it was, it was still a big deal being a rookie. I didn't realize like how special it was. And I showed my purebred Arabian at the sun circuit show, um, which is a big quarter horse show here. And it used to be January now it's February. Um, and I, on my purebred won the rookie class and I was out on like my first NRHA show. I was out of the rookie on a purebred Arabian. So when they say it can't be done, it can be done. So, um, so watch out, um, plan ahead. But um, I I did the Arabian for a few years and then transitioned over to court horses. Um, and I just have been in court horse training. I did a short stint in cow horse, which I absolutely love. That is a thrill of a lifetime. Um, we were really fortunate. Uh, our cow horse was with Randy Paul. And that was, I think, in 2000. Um, he was he won the limited open at the Snafflebit Fraternity, was fifth in the open. That was such an amazing event. Um, and I just, I got a cow horse, but raining always just had my heart. And so I came back to raining. And over the last several years, um, been riding with Daniel and Carrie. And um, I'll say a lot of my recent, success and lifetime earnings and all of that um it has really been attributed to daniel and um just it's it's really daniel and carrie it's been such a partnership um 
that's just been amazing. Right. Yeah. You guys do have a great, great situation there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's really, we have a good team. So this year, as you said, it marks your return to the fraternity game, you know, after you took a little break, um, motherhood, professional, you know, goals, that kind of thing sometimes can, can stand in our way of keeping up those experiences, but how can you compare your last fraternity to this one? Um, it's, it's incomparable really. Um, it, it's, it's amazing. Um, so that same horse that Randy Paul showed, I ended up showing at the fraternity. Um, so that was the last time I showed at the big NRHA fraternity. Um, so that was in 2000. And this was an amazing little horse. Some people might remember him. His name was Remolina. He was 13-2. So he was literally a pony. Oh. Um, yeah, he, it was, he, but he was a, he was a big-hearted horse and got a lot done. Um, however, me being a non-pro, um, you know, we tend to make mistakes every once in a while. And showing in the fraternity, uh, I kind of came through the center and spurred a little too hard, and he kicked out in the first go. So... My first time showing up dirty didn't end so well, but of course it was a learning experience and I was young. And this time, 20 years later, you know, it, it's not that I didn't try, you know, to get one to the fraternity, but like you said, work, um, motherhood, life, um, just different things. It just never came to fruition. And so this year it was just, it was just really special because I feel like we had been planning for this and the last couple horses I owned helped prepare me for this year and going to the fraternity, um, you know, making all four levels, which was ridiculous and just such an amazing experience. And I think, you know, it was that much sweeter this year because it was all me. You know, like, and when I say all me, I I, I had the team, but it was like, uh, financially, I worked my tail off to to make this happen. Like I said, I don't have any family in this or anything like this. Like, you know, my family made sacrifices so we could get to the fraternity and go do it. And it just, it just was such, um, it's it's still like hard for me to wrap my head around how amazing that experience was. I mean, the whole year was really something for you. Um, we, we know that at one point we didn't even know if we were going to get to horse show this year. Right. And, but Mm -hmm. then, I mean, you guys just came on the scene and it was like always seeing your name, you know, at the top of the results. And, um, I know that you're a really goal oriented person and, um, driven for success and that sort of thing, but going along on that kind of trajectory, how do you manage your own expectations so that, you know, you don't get in your horse's way and maybe go too far when you thought you were ready, but maybe you weren't. Um, how did you, and then your trainers, Daniel Schlomer and, and Carrie Klingenberg, how did you guys work together to manage those goals and expectations so that maybe you didn't get too excited and, you know, go farther than, than you needed to at that time? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really great question. And, and there, there is a lot that goes into it. You know, um, I'll say as a non-pro, I think we, we, we learn, or for me, I've learned so much just about the business and realizing as much as I want to ride and be the trainer and do all that, I'm not like I have, I think a big transition happened a few years ago when I, you know, as much as I want to ride every day and do everything, I have other responsibilities, right? Family work, um, that is a priority. And I, I think that there's a lot of non-pros out there like me that it's like you're torn, right? You just want to ride every day and do that. And then, but, but if you do that, like, I just, I just stepped back and I was like, okay, when it came to training this horse, like Daniel's the expert, I am going, I pay Daniel to do this. I'm going to step back and partner and look, and look to my advisors for help. And that's where, you know, Carrie Daniel and I, we sit down and we talk about, okay, what are the goals for the year? How are we going to do it? What's the smart way? We always talk about the longevity of the horses and how um, to be smart about it. And this was a really special um, circumstance because this was a homebred horse, right? Right. So, 
his dam, um, with his tap staff, who I still have right now, it was her, it's her first foal. And so, you know, we looked at it and being a Perlino, right. <laughs> um, it was interesting because he's not always accepted as the color. Um, myself, I was very shocked when he <laughs> popped out. Um, but, uh, we, Daniel, you know, it, it was one of those conversations like, Hey, you know, with Sky Diamond and we're thinking about Cat, we call her Cat, we, Cat's future as a producer and his color, like we're the ones that are going to give him the chance. We know the mom and we know what a great horse this can be. I think we're the ones that we should keep him. I had a Derby mare at the time, a really great Derby mare. And he's like, I think we should sell her and we should really put the time and effort into Guy Diamond. We call him Guy Diamond. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and really, you know, do well for him and do well for Kat as future thinking. And, you know, it just so happened that I hadn't shown for a couple years. And so I leveled all the way back down into level, you know, all four levels, which is another right universe aligned situation, having this great horse being all four levels um, going into a a year like this. So we just planned about, um, the future of the horse, the the future of the dam and how we were going to do it. And it was a neat situation because, you know, um, Carrie and Daniel and I, we've done this before, actually my previous fraternity horse, um, that was the Derby mare. Uh, I showed her in the pre-fraternities, Carrie showed her at the big fraternity, made the two and three finals. And then Daniel showed her at the Derby as Mm -hmm. a four-year-old and made the finals. And so we are just really strategic about, hey, okay, this is where you're going to shine. This is your turn. This is your turn. And I'm okay. And and it took me a while to get there. I'm going to be honest, right? Because I'm like, no, I want to show, you know, (laughs) but it was smarter for me and smarter for the horse and smarter for the team to go, okay, here's how we're going to do it. And here's what makes sense. But of course, being open to changes or things that happen, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things like, like they're the experts, but we're a team Mm -hmm. and they listen to what my goals are just as much as I listen to what their input is. And so it's just a really respectful, um, forward thinking, inspirational team that we're able to move forward and think about even breeding in the future and such. So, um, long, long, long answer long there sorry about that driver but um it's it's really we we do take the time to plan out our goals for the year for the horse right and then the future of what that's going to look like like we've already talked about this year for dirty diamonds and how we're going to um what makes sense to show him at keep him from to create the longevity of this horse because he's such an amazing horse right so yeah. Right. Well, um, okay. So since you mentioned it, do you want to talk a little bit about what your plan is this year and, um, where, where he's going to be and, and what your role is going to be in that? Yeah, no, sure. And, um, so I love, uh, I'll step back. I love showing fraternity horses. They're my favorite because I just love, um, the innocence of them. Right. Um, they're so, you know, you really need to help them along and they are Typically, I've been very fortunate, like I said, they're, they look to you to help, you know, they're like, okay, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous, but if you're with me, I'm with you. And I, and I love that. And so it was great that I got to do that with 30 diamonds uh, this last year. And I looked at Daniel at the fraternity and I'm like, I think it's your turn. I think it's your turn. I think what would be best for, for 30 diamonds is for you to show him this year in the open. And then maybe at the end of the year, I'll show him there you know, show them at, at something. So I think possibly his next show would be the Derby. We're going to school him here at the Sun Circuit, which is a big quarter horse show here in Scottsdale. So we'll school him there. And then um, we'll probably focus on the Derby and then maybe uh, Vegas after that. Right. That's kind of the preliminary plan for, for him right now. That's great. And so his show schedule will, you know, become a lot more condensed or, you know, I guess shorter. He won't have as many shows as maybe last year, um, which yeah, I guess that's a, you know, that's a four-year-old plan right there because they are, you know, still coming into themselves and 
becoming what they're going to be. And, um, I think that's, that's an amazing way to consider, you know, like respect your horse as well as the sport and, um, and his future. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And that's one thing, you know, when we looked at showing him, um, this in this fraternity year, I mean, we did uh, shows back to back to back, but then there was like one show where I didn't go and Daniel took him to school, you know? And so it was just, it was like a no pressure situation, but he just went to the show and was like, okay, this is no pressure, but I'm here to work. And so it just kept him happy. And, um, and that's another thing where I was, you know, like to Carrie and Daniel, like, Hey, I think we should leave him home. I don't, I don't want to stress him out or what have you. And, you know, they looked at me and they're like, well, here's the thing though, is we don't want to back off. Like we need to keep him in that mind frame that we're working, but let's make this a really fun experience for him. Right. So uh, talking about respecting the sport, respecting the horse, like that's how they think about it. And we, you know, come to great conclusions together to do that, to, to have the longevity of the horses. Terrific. Now, um, you've mentioned, um, his, his color being Perlino and how did mm-hmm. that maybe, I guess, color your experience with him? Um, I know it was a surprise when, when he was foaled, um, <laughs> and you probably yeah. learned a whole lot about coat color genetics in the process. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, yep. how did, I mean, did you, were you able to kind of set that aside and fall in love with him? you know, and then really fall in love with this color too. Eventually. Um, I know that it's, you know, not always the most desirable situation, but you know, pretty is as pretty does. Right. And he is really pretty anyway. <laughs> yes. No, it's so funny. It's so funny. Deborah, Cause, um, I remember he sold out, um, he was an embryo transfer. And so he sold out at Jerry Longworth's place, um, the repo center here. And I remember, they called me in the morning and they're like, you got a cold. So like he had, he had just pulled. And I was like, no way. Oh my God. I'm on my way. I go, what color? And the answer was, I got was what color did you want? <laughs> and I'm like, not what you're going to tell me. <laughs> and lo and behold, I get over there. I've got this little Carlino. He was so cute. Absolutely. And I'm brutally honest. I was like, Oh my God, really? I was very disappointed. It's not that I didn't like the color. I just knew for resale. And I know that that color is not generally accepted. And so it was one of those, I was like, Oh my gosh, there was a 4% chance to get this color. Like I knew better, but there was a 4% chance. And that's what I got. Um, but after you got to know him and his personality and everything, oh my gosh, he's been the sweetest horse right. from day one. He's He has such an affection for my daughter. It's crazy. We have pictures when he was a weanling and he would just stand next to her and just put his nose on her, not bite, not anything, not like do anything. He just wanted to be near her and he loved her. And so, um, you know, now it, I love it. I love his color. We joke, you know, we all joke and we're like, he made Perlino cool. Like (laughs) it's, it's, I'm, I'm like so happy because, you know, I always fight for the little guy and I'm like, he's just totally paved the way for the little guy. And I love that. You know, he's, he's such a cool horse and, um, his color is like the icing on the cake and it's, it's, it's great now. Right. Cause I can be like, Oh yeah, you remember that little white one I had. And, um, he's, he, everyone that comes around him is like, he's so sweet and he's so pretty. Mm -hmm. So so thank you very much. He is very, uh, I'm very fortunate. He's a pretty guy. So, um, but going back to that, I did genetically test my mare, um, for color. And so now I know what colors I can and cannot breed to, um, (laughs) cause she did actually throw another Perlino. Um, and so, uh, another Perlino Philly that we sold. Um, so yeah, I can, I can definitely produce more Perlinos, but <laughs> I can also, I've learned how to maybe steer towards some of the traditional colors as well. Perfect. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> with you living so close to Daniel and Carrie, um, can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Like, because you, you got to be involved, I'm guessing in all of it. Like, did you go watch, did you go watch Daniel put first rides on him or, um, how much of a part of it were you and how much did you try to step back and say, 
this is their role right now and mine comes up later? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And it is um, definitely just kind of going back to what I said earlier, right? It's that partnership. And I'm like, I, I, I always am involved in all my horses um, for sure. But, you know, at a certain age, like I broke them when I was younger and stuff like that. But now as like a mom, I'm like, okay, if I get hurt, like maybe that's not the best choice. So it's definitely up to Carrie and Daniel on, on the breaking and all of that good stuff. And I would go over and watch as much as I could, but with, you know, um, other priorities, life, work, uh, family, it, it was only a couple days a week, but it was so great because they are so close that I can just, if I'm like, I can text them and be like, Hey, I, I'm able to come over at this time. Can you ride guy diamond? Or can I watch you ride guy diamond? And, and, um, they would let, you know, ride them for me. And then halfway through his two-year-old year, I mean, it was like, Hey, you can ride them. And so I would probably ride really the whole time of, from when we, I started riding him to showing him again, I think there's that balance. Um, and this is what I do as a non-pro is I don't want to ride, um, too much because I don't want the horse to have to go through any unnecessary training to kind of maybe correct, maybe something that I did. And so my goal was always twice a week. Um, which I think is best for the horse and, and the trainer. And for me, it's a good balance. Um, but it also poses challenges. You know, I, I think a lot of non-pros, like we have so much on our, on our plate with work and family and then the pressure of like we put on ourselves that we want to do well and perform. I only had one horse. So literally the whole time I only rode twice a week. Um, which ended up being a, a great plan, obviously, right? It was a great plan. Um, but it was a mental shift that I had to like let go of control and just be like, okay, I'm going to come ride. And we would have a plan on like what I'd work on on each ride so that it wasn't, you know, too much on him all at once. So we were just really strategic about what I would accomplish on each ride. And then I just was like, you know what? I know Daniel's got him things are good. He's super happy. Every time I ride him better, I'm like, I don't need to ride. And that's a, that's a big mental mind shift for me is like, I always felt like, Oh my God, I got to practice. I got to practice. I got to practice to get any better. Um, but also having that mental mind shift to be like, you know what? It's okay. Like I know that they've got him for me and, and we're good. So, um, I was involved, um, but I wasn't like pounding them down or micromanaging. Day. I just, <laughs> yeah, I just kind of like, hey, this is our goal. We set out what horse shows we're going to go to, and I think it was a really good mix of allowing me. And if there was like a horse show, maybe I would ride an extra day, or I'd lope him just to be, you know, have good time, you know, keep my timing up, and then. Daniel would finish him or something like that. So, um, it was, it was a good, good mix. I'm very, very fortunate to have them so close to be able to hop over there when I can. Well, and, um, you know, I know that, you know, with riding, obviously there's a lot of muscle memory. So even if you get on another horse, you know, you're working on your own yourself maybe, but also people might not know you are a super fit person and very committed to, your personal fitness. And that has to play a role in only riding a couple of times a week, maybe in that your body is ready every time you get on. It's really interesting. Um, it's really interesting that you say that because we learned a lot about that as well this year, um, a different perspective, right? Um, during one of my, uh, lessons when I was riding, you know, because you're right. Like I do love health and fitness and eating right and taking care of your body. Um, it's something that I put a lot of time and effort into now it's kind of effortless. It's just life, you know, just kind of habit. But, um, the one thing with like lifting weight that, that Daniel put this in such a great perspective. Um, and it's, it's such like a coach mentality is he's like, you know, no, no one well maybe had one trainer say, Hey, stop lifting weights. But 
it was it was the mind shift that Daniel gave me. He's like, you know, when you lift weights, you have no feedback, right? So if you lift hard or heavy or drop the weight or do whatever, the weight doesn't tell you like, ouch, or don't do that, or I don't like that, or that was good or whatever. He's like, but on a horse, they're going to tell you, right? Like, oh, that was too much or, oh, that was just right. And so he's like, just be cognizant, like you're, you know, you're strong and you have a lot of muscle memory, but you have to remember the horse is going to give you the feedback and you have to be like ready to accept that feedback and adjust. And it was like that. I remember that lesson. I was like, oh my gosh, like light bulb went on over my head. And I was like, okay, yep, you're right. So I think the health and, and, and the fitness and things I do help me for the show pen, right? Because mm-hmm. I have that endurance. Um, and it just helps. I'm just life keeping up with kids, but, um, (laughs) it, it, it was really the mind shift because it can be, it can hurt you. Right. But now that I understand that correlation and I never thought about it that way, I was like, okay, now I know how to do this differently. And it's made all the difference in the world having that conversation. Yeah. That's great insight to share too. Um, yeah. Very helpful. Um, so tell us a little bit about, I mean, obviously you had a lot of success this year, but everybody faces setbacks. Um, was there ever a time where you questioned your journey this past year? Um, was there ever a time that you were like, okay, we're stopping, this isn't going to work or where you questioned where you guys were going? Um, and how did you get past that? You know, um, it's one of those things. So I'll give you, kind of a, an interesting answer on this one. Um, because we do so much kind of planning and communication is really high that I, I wouldn't say there was any like setbacks um, per se, like with with um, Guy Diamond or um, his training or everything. He's super healthy the whole way through. You know, we do, Carrie is so good about their health and, and, and doing different things to make sure that they're at their A game. But I will tell you, um, you know, it's a lot of, for me, because I, I hadn't shown up a fraternity in a long time. And, um, right, it's just a lot of pressure that just comes no matter what. It is what it is. Um, and I was ready for it in the first go. I was ready for it in the consolation. And in the finals, I wasn't. And that made me kind of be like, holy cow, what am I doing here? Like, this is the big leagues, you know, and I've always strived to be here. Um, Never quite had the the horse caliber to to get me there. Um, Also, you know, just this like strong coaching. Um, And uh, I don't share it too often, but I'm actually blind in my left eye. And so when it comes to riding, this is something that Daniel's been so good at with training the last three horses for me. Um, there's little things that I do with my body because I'm compensating, right, with my eye. Right. And when I do a right rundown, my I'm looking straight because my my right eye is is um, you know taking all the vision, but my head is actually tilted to the left so that my eye can be center well if you tilt your head to the left that mess that totally misaligns your shoulders your seat everything and so in my um first go i came around for that right rundown and i just wasn't mentally there to because i have to shift i have to like turn the corner Put, you know, get ready to go run down. And I actually have to keep my hands straight, but look to the right okay. because I have to compensate to what my body naturally does to, to adjust for the vision. And I just wasn't mentally there to do it. And so it hurt us in our rundowns. Our rundowns were towards the fence. We got minus. And that's like something that we've plussed all year and, you know, attributed to a lot of our success. And it just, I wasn't mentally there. And I'm like, holy cow. I don't know if I'm ready for this kind of pressure. Um, I won it, but I wasn't like there for it. Got it back in the consolation. And then the finals, 
I just think the pressure and the nerves and the everything, it's just like a bunch of old habits came back, all that good stuff. And so it was, it was a setback in the sense that it, it humbled me being like, Hey, you got to remember what you got to do and like stay focused on your plan and not let external things change you. And so, um, I say my finals and my finals runoff, yikes, um, were such a learning experience for me for the future in, in how to handle that, how to mentally prepare for that kind of pressure so that I can make sure that I take care of the things that I need to just to focus and to, to accomplish. I mean, that right rundown is tough for me. So to be able to do that, I have to be in a certain mind, mind frame to do it. And so, um, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, all year there, there wasn't really any setbacks. I'm so fortunate. I'm, I'm so, it's such a cool thing. Um, but man, there was some challenges I faced at the fraternity, you know? So it's the kind of stuff you can't address until you're, until you've been there. I think like you can't replicate that kind of pressure. You can't, um, you nope. know, it's, it's almost like you have to learn from it while you're in it. And, um, I really respect you for, you know, taking it as that kind of experience. And, um, so what, how does, how does this, you know, adjust your mental prep process going forward then? What, what do you usually do? What do you think you're going to change in your mental preparation? You know, that's a, that's a really good question because I've been thinking about that a lot because I, you know, we always want to do better and, and see how we can challenge ourselves and grow and achieve our goals and mental preparedness is something that um I've always done and and something I've always done and something new that I'm I'm I'll tell you about so something I've always done is I'm I'm a big believer in visualization so I will think a lot about my pattern so much so that I'll, I'll like go sit quietly in the stands like kind of where no one can see me and I will go through the pattern looking at the arena and remembering different things right like Hey, lift here, make sure you're like there, like going through it. But I visualize so much and I'm so into what's going on. And I don't know, call me crazy, but like my heart starts racing. My, I can feel my muscles firing, right? Like as I'm going through it, I feel like different muscles tighten. And I'm because it's like, I'm so into the ride and I'll like start sweating because I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm in it. And once that happens, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to show. Cause it's like, I'm prepared for, you know, what could happen. I'm also prepared for, um, like the game plan that I want to, you know, how I want to perform and how I want to be there for my horse. And so visualization and taking it step by step, each piece of the pattern and going through it, um, has, has attributed to my success for sure this year, um, previously, but for sure this horse, I, I really wanted to do well on him. Um, and, and that helped me. And so, um, as far as like something new I'm doing, I actually reached out to a fellow non-pro that I really respect. Um, and ride, she's, I've, I've known her for a very long time. We may not be close friends, but I know her and I just reached out to her and, and ask like, hey, you're constantly in these high pressure situations. How do you handle the pressure? Like I've never been there, and it took me it took me for a ride. I didn't <laughs> I didn't do it, so I was like, how do you do it? So I started asking her, and I have a couple other people that I'm in a, a fellow non pros that I'm just gonna ask. I feel like, you know, if we can all kind of talk together and help each other at the end of the day, um, we all get better. We all win. It's, it's a great thing. And, and, uh, she gave me a lot of, of different tips and, you know, it was just kind of nice to hear even challenges, right? Like we think some of these people at the, the top of the top, like never have challenges, everything's so easy and they're just like us, like, right. you know, and, and I think that having the vulnerability to share that and, and talk about it, it's just like, okay, I'm not alone. Like, I, and, and I think that's something I'm going to do more of is just talk to those people that I aspire to ride like and, and learn 
right? Like they're farther along in the game than me and learn from them and see what I can apply. That is something that's really um, neat about the reigning community from professionals to non-pros um, is there's a high willingness to share knowledge and um, to, you mm-hmm. know, cheer each other on and help each other when you need it, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I love seeing yeah. a, a professional talk to a non-pro who's not their customer. It's somebody who came to the horse show, maybe doesn't even have a trainer, but they go yeah. and, you know, share their best advice and help them get through a little problem. And it just, it makes the whole community stronger and um, really helps everybody elevate Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that um, it's tough, right? This is a tough competition. Anytime there's a competition, it's like, no, I'm going to win over you. Right. And there's rankings. I mean, my, my career is, is I have a huge sales career and I was always ranked against everybody. And, Mm -hmm. and um, uh, you kind of can fall into that mentality is like, no, I'm not going to share anything with you because you're my competition. When in reality, the more you share and the more that you help others, it reciprocates back to you tenfold. And so once you kind of realize that, then that's when the really the gold happens for you and the person that you help. I mean, how cool is it if you share a piece of information with somebody and or an experience that maybe they're struggling with? I mean, I have a time. Can I, do I have time to share this story? Yeah. I have a time. Um, just really quick. I was struggling actually with, with Kat, with Guy Diamond's mom. Um, I was struggling with her. I just got her. She was like the, you know, best horse uh, I had ever purchased, you know, on my own. And I was struggling. I was like, I, I couldn't, I was trotting out of every rollback. It was like a disaster. And I remember I was at one show at Burbank and there was a fellow non-pro that I had like kind of grown up with in my kind of like college years and stuff. And, and, uh, I went up, I was so frustrated at the show and she was sitting out in front of her stalls and I just was like, Hey, you got a minute. And I just needed to vent. Right. And so I just was like, Oh, this, 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 and I'm not blaming the horse. It was all me. I'm like, God dang, like, I can't get this done. What am I doing? And she just looked at me and I'm like, I just feel like I'm out of control. And she looked at me like square in the eyes and she goes, Shelly, anytime. I've ever won anything big. It's been out of control. And I like, I just had like a moment and I was like, Oh my God. Okay. It was just one of those things that, that brutal honesty. And we talked about it more and, and she's a a very prominent non-pro and, and I just like to know, cause you watch her show and you're like, Oh, everything's perfect. Right. Like everything looks great. And it's like, Shelly, I'm totally, like, there are times I'm totally out of control in this. You don't know. You don't know. And that's your job as the exhibitor is that you need to not let those judges know that it's out of control and that you asked everything to do. And from that point on, like, Kat and I made the finals at every event and we did everything. Yeah. That's a great mayor. And it's just like, I was, I had so much pressure and control. Like, I was trying to control every step instead of letting things happen and just going with it, you know? And like, that was a, that was a huge aha for me. I've shared that with so many people that were struggling. So it's like that pay it forward. Right. Yeah. I've just shared that with, with other non-pros and I'm like, just let it go. You know? Right. So it, it's a, it's a big deal sharing it. So I really appreciate it when people do. And you mentioned, you know, coming from a sales background and, you know, a really high, high pressure sales position, you know, high ranking, high visibility, that kind of thing, very successful. Um, and you, you know, you've parlayed that to being the brains behind rain or stop. And, um, so how did what you learned professionally, maybe in the 20 years between your last maturity and this one? Um, how do you apply what you learned in your professional career into your horse life? Um, you know, I will say, so all my sales, it, it, I feel like my sales success, um, and all the success that I've had professionally, um, it's, it's a different success, right? Like I, I wanted to win, but it wasn't like my passion and the horses are my passion. Right. So that kind of 
falls more into the emotional side of things, um, which can derail you, right? Like emotions come in and I mean, even in just conversation, like emotion can derail or enhance the conversation. And with sales, the reason why I had such great success is that I stuck with the basics and I focused on the end result. And I always made a game plan on how I was going to get there. Yeah. And I use that same process with the horses now. And there is still the emotional component. I mean, you know, uh, horses mean so much to us. Like, it's hard to not look at them. Like, I can think of different times and tears come to my eyes. I mean, like, it's just like they are so amazing. And you can't not have the emotional. But I think by sticking with the basics, creating your plan, focusing on the end goal, it, it lowers some of the emotional impact or manages it. I shouldn't say lowers it. It manages it so that it's more productive than harmful. Right. That's great. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. That's a, a great asset to have on your side for sure. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, the sales experience, it's, it's fun. I love sales actually. So it's, it's really fun. I love to teach it and, and all of that. But it's sometimes you can get so in depth into the nitty gritty details when you just kind of step back. And from a big picture, it's like, okay, no, we it's these things that you need to focus on. And then you can create the tactics to kind of get you towards where you want to go. Well, um, we see a lot, uh, if, if people are connected with you on social media or just in your, in your day-to-day life there in Scottsdale, um, your daughter is learning to ride and, um, both your kids mm-hmm. are excited to go, you know, see your, your foals out in the, in the pens every mm-hmm. morning and that kind of thing. Um, what do you hope for your daughter's experience with horses? Do you, do you see yourself in what she's finding right now? Um, how has that experience been for you? Um, it's, it's been really neat. So with the horses, with Reese, I I never wanted to, uh, push them on her, right. Or make her do it or anything. We just kept, I just kept introducing her and including her. I'd be like, Hey, come with me. Hey, come do this. And, um, it, it, it just kind of like evolved naturally. And both my kids are, we're huge animal lovers. Um, and so, they will, you know, definitely come out, be with the horses. Reese riding, though, has been the coolest thing. Um, one, I don't know how my parents, like, survived because I, <laughs> like, my heart dies every time I watch her. Because I'm, like, worried she's going to get hurt. And I, I think know, about yeah. stuff that I did when I was her age. And I was, like, my parents have no idea I did any of this. <laughs> but, um, like, I, I was just talking to some people at the ranch yesterday about, or a couple days ago about this, but um, it's so, the best part of watching Reese ride, and she has so much natural feel, it's it's incredible to watch. And she's riding Guy Diamond's mom now. Mm-hmm. So that's so great. So we pulled the embryo. We're going to pull another embryo this year, keep her open so Reese can keep riding her because she's a great horse. But the best part is after when she's done because she is like sailing high with confidence. She's a chatty Kathy. She's like, I just rode this horse, you know, and it is the confident side. I can look back now. And I always said to my dad growing up, the horses taught me more than, more than college. Like after college, I was like, horses taught me more than college. And he doesn't disagree. And so the fact that Reese can have that same experience, and I already see it with just responsibility. You know, she'll help feed at night and she knows it's not like I have to tell her, like she, she takes on a lot of initiative when she's out with the horses. It's not like wait and wait for me to tell her to do things. She just, you know, she just takes it on and just takes care of it. And she helps with the babies. Um, both the kids this year, right. A blessing from everything that happened this year, being home, uh, Cat actually, she so she carried last year. She folds in the morning. She's my morning fuller, and she, I mean, I was watching her. Kids are doing homework at the kitchen table, and I said, "Open up the window. I'm gonna go check on her." And I'm like yelling, "Hey, it's time!" And so <laughs> both of them got to see, you know, um, her have her filly this year and be a part of it. And 
I mean, right when Quinn, the, the baby stood up, they're in the stall and it, it was just such a neat experience. And, and I love that I'm able to offer that to them. I love seeing the confidence that they both have around it. And um, it's just, it's, it's pretty neat. The, the post writing is the best part with Reese. I, I totally agree with that. My, um, my older son rides with me and, um, we can be having a bad day where we're button heads and, you know, not getting mm-hmm. along. And, um, as soon as we go to the barn, everything changes and we go ride and we have a nice time and then we're done and he's back to chatting and being himself again. Cause he's 12. So, you know, we've got that tween yep. thing going on, <laughs> but, um, mm-hmm. it really is such a, a really, amazing way to, you know, fix little things in your personal life with your kids and, and let things blow over that should blow over or talk about things that you need to talk about having those horses yep. there as like a, a mediator <laughs> if mm-hmm. you will, um, really does. Yeah. Changes everything. It changes everything. And it's just like, I, uh, you know, just walking outside and that deep breath, right? People yep. will be like, oh, you smell horse manure. No, it's like horses. <laughs> like this is horse smell and it's the best smell in the whole world. And so it's, it's like, like you said, having them there, it does create just so many opportunities for conversation, yeah. right? That I'm sure you have with your son and you guys both have that commonality bringing you together of the horses that you can talk about anything. Yeah. So it's really special. I, I hope, hope, hope she keeps up with it. It's like a non-pressure, but she's getting yeah. more and more. Carrie is going to take over. I've been teaching her, and mm-hmm. I kind of like got to the point where I'm like, Carrie, after security, you got to take over. Um, and watching Carrie with her is so cool. She looks up to Carrie, and having a role model like Carrie for her is like amazing. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping for the future we talk about I like wishful thinking. We're like, oh, we need one of those living quarter horse trailers and we'll halt to all the horse shows together. And we, so we talk about that, which is really fun. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun to me. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> well, Shelly, we really appreciate your time today and um, wish you all the best this year with everything with um, Guy Diamond and, and all your, your foals that you had this year and big things coming for you, I'm sure. And, um, but we, we appreciate you taking time for the podcast and, um, we'll see you on down the road. That sounds great. Thanks so much for having me on. Hey, thanks for listening to In Our Tracks, a project from the National Reining Horse Association. For more about reining and NRHA, visit NRHA.com and follow NRHA on Facebook at NRHA National Reining Horse Association and on Instagram at NRHA Reining. Please be sure to leave us a review. We love five stars and um, look for us next month. Thanks again to Cinch Jeans for being our sponsor of this episode of In Our Tracks. You can find their products at cinchjeans.com or at a retailer near you.